Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Shred Coach Podcast with Tom Adams. On this episode, Tom interviews Bob Johnson, the former CEO of Nade and iSigma, about his journey in the information destruction industry. As a pioneer in the field and founder of the National Association for Information Destruction, Bob shares his story which began with his grandfather's insulation business to working as a security guard and then the founding of Certified Document Destruction in Toledo. Bob Johnson, welcome to the Shred Coach Podcast. I am so glad you're here. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's it's exciting to have you on on this show because over the years, you and I have had many discussions, both publicly in public forums and privately as well. But it, it's really cool to have you on the Shred Coach podcast. And the fact is, you don't need an introduction. So I'm not going to give you an introduction. Everybody knows who you are. But I took the liberty of of scraping away under the hood and found some people who talked about you. So I was just going to read a few notes before we get into the conversation. There is absolutely no one that knows more about information disposition and more specifically about regulatory compliance and how it is utilized in the sales situation. That came from Ray Barry, the one and only. Richard Steed, the famous Richard Steed, said, Bob is the original pioneer in the information destruction industry, has personally done more for the industry than any one individual and possesses a fearless passion for privacy, data protection, and quality standards. Lloyd Williams, you know that guy from the UK, Nottingham, I believe he lives I've known and worked with Bob for over 20 years. He has total knowledge of our subject industry and has shown leadership and guidance to me and many of our industry peers. From Lloyd Williams, Joe Harper, uh, he says, as the founder and CEO of Nate, he is undoubtedly one of the most prominent and influential subject matters in the data disposition industry. His expertise is second only to his genuine and authentic care for those he serves. Ross Fettergreen, another privacy uh, expert says, I've known Bob for many years. His depth, breadth and depth of regulatory knowledge is second to none. Furthermore, he's a deep understanding of where the regulatory environment is going and can bring to any project top level skills. And I could go on. Tom Simpson goes, I've known and worked with Bob for over 20 years and his vision, dedication and high standards and his encyclopedic knowledge of data protection regulations have made him one of the most highly respected professionals in the disposition industry. And Paul Kearns, another international rock star from Ireland, says, having worked with Bob for several years on the iSigma board of directors, I was able to see firsthand his insightful grasp of emerging global data protection regulations and their real world impact on data controllers and data processors. So, I mean, that's a weird introduction to start with because I've never done that before. But because of your status in the industry, I thought we'd start with that. That, gets, well, that, that has to feel kind of interesting to hear all yeah, that. Well, it, it is. It's uh, it's uh, humbling more than ever or more than anything. And, and, you know, a little bit scary, I guess, to be thought of in that regard. It, it, it just kind of came naturally as I did what I did over the last, you know, 40 some years. But, you know, on the other hand, uh, you know, we could have just we could just end this with this this discussion right now and be happy. Right. Right. So, right. That feels good. It's a it's a great feeling. You know, I was thinking as we started this conversation, I was thinking as I was about to read those that it it's interesting at this stage of your career being able to read that. But you know what? I I can't honestly say I know your origin story. I I mean, I've known about you and I've heard snippets here and there. But it'd be really interesting for me, and I can only imagine for other people to actually hear, how did you get into this game in the first place? I mean, tell us the origin story of getting into 
data information destruction, shredding this whole world. I don't know how it happened. Tell, tell me more. Well, it, you know, like many things kind of, it was put in front of me, right? And, but it was a, I, I think it was an interesting way how it did come about. The first thing you need to know is that my grandfather, I, I guess maybe similar to me, had kind of toiled away most of his adult life in the insulation business. And actually he mm. quasi invented a cellulose insulation. There were many people involved in that. But, but so anyway, by the time I was a teenager, he'd had some success and had a had a manufacturing plant where he made cellulose insulation. And for anybody that knows, it's still around today, but you take paper, recycled paper generally, you mill it down to a, almost a powder and you fight, make it fire retardant and it happens to make a great insulation product. So that was in the 70s that he finally kind of, the idea caught hold and the, and the timing was right. But so when I was a teenager in the 70s, that company was running and I worked at the recycling center where we collected the recycled paper. Now, I noticed at that time, so I'm in my late teens at this time, that people were continually bringing things. And I guess the, the, the one I remember most was that a, a printing company delivered to our recycling plant a tractor trailer load of diplomas from the local university. And they just dumped them in there for recycling. And these were printed. They were ready to go. All they needed was a name. And so the first thing that happened was everybody that worked at the recycling center became a bachelor of science in, in English or whatever they wanted to, because these diplomas were like real diplomas. <laughs> but right away, I knew that you know, something should be done with this. Well, fast forward two or three years, and I'm now a security guard working at a, a I won't say the name of a plant, but it was very high security. And I was on the third shift. And believe it or not, I was assigned to shredding paper in their... SEM disintegrator. And so I did that for about three weeks. And it, you know, anybody that knows an SEM disintegrator, you know, it, it'll take you all night to shred a hundred pounds. Well, keeping in mind that I know my grandfather has these factories that are making paper into dust, you know, 10 tons an hour. I went to my uncle at the time and said, you know, I think this is a pretty good idea. We could do this for companies. And uh, he did some research. I did some research. He actually launched the service before I came to work for the company doing that. But within about six months, you know, I was selling, I was driving the truck. I was doing all the things we had to do to start that business. It was called Certified Document Destruction. And I know the, uh, the Toledo, Ohio-based company, it was actually in Wasian, only recently sold to Iron Mountain maybe in the last two or three years. And the, the one that the other division in Rochester, New York, may well still be running under the name Certified Document Destruction. I don't know, but, but you know, they, they, they were in business for, for 40 some odd years. Wow. That so, is so interesting. How, well, and, and the, the, the leap to Nate was kind of that when the family business sold, I was still in my early 30s and I had just spent the last 10 years knocking on doors and trying to sell data destruction services wishing that there were someone else besides me, you know, carrying the banner. And it certainly held me back in the fact that, you know, I was kind of a lone voice out there. I, I even wished I'd had some competition. I know that will sound really odd to, your, to, your, to the listeners right now, but at the time I could have used some competition to even validate what I was doing um, because I was the only one talking about it in that time. Anyway, so that's where the germ of the idea of Nade came in. And when the family business sold, I moved to Phoenix and founded Nade and 
I guess most of us know the history from there. Well, let, let's let let's thank you for telling that story. That's really powerful because it speaks to the fact that not only were you just an association guy, you were somebody who knew the business both from a, I mean, an early, what do they call it? Missionary work where you're out selling to people who didn't even know they needed it at the time and, and to see the, the progression over the years. But so what's the trigger? And, and this is always intrigued me too. What's the trigger to go from being in the business to starting an association? I mean, that the average person doesn't think let's go from being a, an operator to being a, someone who brings an industry together. So what happened in that sort of segment of time? I'm, I'm intrigued by that. Well, there, there, there wasn't really much of a, of a bridge there. I, I actually did go to work for a data destruction service. It's, it's long, it's been sold years ago, but when I first moved here 30 some years ago, I did go to work for a, a data destruction service, kind of on a consulting basis, but helping them, but, but still, and still struggling by the way, to talk to people there way you have to keep in mind in the, in the early nineties, even there was no HIPAA or GLBA or, or fact of disposal rule. Identity theft was not a thing at the time. So in fact, it's kind of interesting. While certainly privacy issues were a big deal and we, you know, we sold that, that you have to protect people's identity. And that was the thing. Um, at least half of our focus was on protecting intellectual property because, you know, while privacy still, you know, was, was a thing, if you will, it was still something to, to, to worry about. It wasn't regulated identity that wasn't in the headlines. It was no breach notification or anything like that. And yet, there was plenty of things to show that corporations were being harmed by their secure information being stolen out of their dumpsters. Right. And in fact, even, I mean, you know, there were even a couple of very pop, very big cases in the late eighties where companies ended up losing their rights to protect their intellectual property because they were not securely destroying their information. I mean, literally it came right down to the stuff in the dumpster invalidated their their legal IP protection rights, you know? So, so that was kind of the thing we went with because it was more in the news at the time. So anyway, I know that was kind of a lapse there, but going back no, to your no. question. Um, so I was still struggling. And even though I was, you know, making some progress, obviously. And, and you, you have to know this about me. Maybe I hide it enough, but, you know, I, I'm one of those people that really like to be right. And so I, I, I sometimes joke that by establishing Nate, I hoped to develop something that would prove all the people that said no to me over the last 12 years that I was right. <laughs> so, right. I mean, it's about 30 years to do that, but I think we finally did that. <laughs> yeah, you finally, you finally knocked that one off the to-do list. So, okay, so you started an association and, and I, I'm intrigued because I've heard like somebody like Tom Simpson and I think there's a couple other people I've talked to sat, you guys got together very early on and sat around a conference room table somewhere and there was just like 10 of you, right? Um, there were actually a couple of those. The first meeting was six people and, and, and you know, all of those companies have, have come and gone. Then we had a, a larger meeting a, a year later and I think the only, and I'll, a shout out to Bill Cook. I don't know if you know Bill or not. I'm guessing you do. Bill Cook was is I might be the only member of, of that meeting that we had in Orlando, and I think it was '93, who is still in the business. So he was part of that founding group, if you will. And it wasn't until 
the, the following year that we actually incorporated as a nonprofit association and went forward from there. So yeah, it was, it was, it was very, and, and, you know, it's funny too, going back to what I said earlier and, and your comment about the, the, um, the origination of the, of the association, the idea initially was not to have conferences and even certification kind of came a, a few years later, but it was to develop some type of a an authoritative institute that would put out information that validated this idea that you had to properly destroy your, you know, private and, and, and proprietary information when you were disposing it. So, so it kind of, it, 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 and you know, the funny thing was though, even though we tried that for about a year and a half and got very little traction with that idea of, I mean, it was still called the national association for information destruction, which was, a, a really good name for it. I mean, we could have easily called it the American Shredding Association, which would have very much undermined the progress that we made over the next two decades because we were really about information destruction and information security. But the but the idea of making this thing an, an institution didn't really catch on. And it, so it was, I guess, it only took till 95, I guess, when we had our first conference. And that's when the, the we started to actually get some traction. Mm. And I think- Tom, that, that even for the first, you know, six or seven years, it wasn't really until 2002, 2001, 2002, that the association kind of took off on the trajectory that it, that it you know, it, it sustained for, for the next 20, 25 years. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so interesting to hear the, the start because most of us don't really see that history, right? We, we see where it is today and we're generally involved in our own lives and businesses and this this entity that we're all a part of has this deep rooted history in a story and it's a story of you coming from your grandfather's business into into you know a a a insulation business which i think is just so cool into building a international presence that now has members around the world which is is really kind of cool so um so let, let's, let's, let's now jump to where you are. So, so you have officially, you're officially a, a, in the next phase of your journey, you have formally stepped down. So Nade merged with Prism to become iSigma. And in the last number of months, you have formally uh, stepped down from that role of leading and being the CEO of that organization. What was behind the decision to finally step down? What what caused the shift? Yeah, well, a lot of thought went into it in advance. And I mean, my contract, and then, you know, as an executive director for a large international trade association, certainly I had a, a contract in place. And as that, as, as the, the most recent contract was winding down, you know, I had the board and I had come to an agreement that I would give them some notice so they could start to find my successor and, and, and you know, make sure it was a smooth transition. So I gave them that notice and they embarked on that. The, the reason for the decision that I made at the time not to renew that contract and to go in a different direction actually kind of had two, two, two aspects of it. One was that, you know, after 27 years watching it unfold and, and, and even, I mean, even enjoying the success that we had, I still kind of felt it was time to pass the baton to some maybe younger who could see a different vision for the organization, taking it a different way. You know, I just think I just I actually thought new blood would be good to uh, to move it forward. So I guess the short thing about the, the short answer to that was it was time. 
And, and I felt it was the right thing to do for me and the right thing to do for the association. And I still feel that way. The, the other part of that, though, was that in this, this really dates back to an article that I was writing around that time. I would think it was January of, of or the end of the two years ago. So that would have been 20, I guess, 2020. And it was about the emerging data protection regulations in, in the U.S. The, the GDPR was already in and everybody kind of saw that other countries around the world were picking up much of the GDPR mandates, a lot of the principles that they had baked into that. And I kind of saw it as an inevitability, you know, as it has been in the U.S. for decades, the federal government has not really responded with kind of an omnibus approach to data protection regulations or privacy. They kind of leave it to these to the states or they leave it to specific regulations over specific disciplines like HIPAA over over right. healthcare, GLBA over financial stuff, FACTA over the, the, the credit world. Anyway, the but what I did see in that article and what I was writing about was the fact that states were starting to carry the GDPR banner. Mm. And so um, data subject rights were increasing, obligations on data controllers were increasing, and data subject, as I mentioned earlier, were, you know, were, were given significant rights. And I really saw it as game changer and a way for me to maybe take my career in a direction that would allow me in many ways to continue in the same path I'd been on, maybe more, more expansive as far as not just on data destruction or, or secure disposition, but in, the, in, in all the realms of data, data, whether it's a data controller, data processor, or, or even a data subject where I could do that. But, you know, it's, it's funny. I spent a lot of time, it, you know, all of these decades working to professionalize this, the information disposition world and right. have customers take our industry seriously, which kind of was the problem, right? They weren't taking disposition seriously right. or even vendor qualifications and all of those things. So my hope is that, you know, in going in this new direction, I'm, um, and, and I know we'll probably talk about the, 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 the company that I've started now, I just did recently, but the, the, with this consultancy, I'm able to take that message deeper into the data controller world. So it's, it's one thing to be coaching data processors on how they can be a better service and, uh, and how they can tell their clients about data disposition. It's quite another thing to be talking to the data controllers themselves and looking at what they're doing and how they're doing it. So I'm really focusing on the same things, but just kind of from a different angle. Right, right. So part of the, part of the transition for you was feeling like you'd, You'd given your, your all to this organization for years, but there was, there's a change coming that is in place and in motion. And somehow you didn't feel like you had the, it necessarily to just continue with the association side, but there's an opportunity brewing that you see where your expertise, capabilities, and skills gave you something into this new world that you were going into. That's, yeah. that's really cool. As we jump back into sort of the, the world that you helped to create, and I realize you didn't do it on your own, but you have been known as the person who built NAID and then led iSigma for the last number of years. What do you feel, if, if you're okay with jumping back there, what were some of the really important successes? I believe you kind of hit on them with certification and that, but, but give me in sort of a nutshell, some of the, the highlights for you of what you feel like you accomplished with Nade and iSigma. Let's start there. Some of, some of just the highlight reel. 
Yeah, well, thank you. If you're, if we're, you know, from kind of an overall perspective, and I'm going to, I'm going to repeat myself here, but I, I, you know, I really like that from the beginning, the board and the founders, the people that were working with me decided that, you know, the best way for a healthy data destruction industry was to have informed customers. And, and, you know, I think that kind of led to this realization that customers had to take us seriously and to be able to be taken seriously and actually to be able to extract the value from the customer that, you know, that we deserve, they needed to take us seriously. So from an, from an overarching position or an umbrella perspective, I would say it was, you know, our efforts to professionalize information disposition and make it a kind of a real thing, right? Make it something they had to, uh, that they had to focus on. Specifically, though, and 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 it it would be certification. I think that's the that's the best tool that we've had. It's certainly the most successful tool, and I think it's probably what will, you know, lead iSigma into the future. But yeah, that's that's by far and away the biggest success. If you'd have told me, you know, twenty years ago or twenty two years ago when we started it that there would be, you know, over a thousand companies that held this certification or, or locations that held this certification on on six different continents. And that it would be written into, you know, thousands of private contracts and that the IRS would recognize it in their in their publication 1075 or that the VA would be given any kind of a preferential treatment in bids, all of that stuff. That would have been my wildest dream. And, it, you know, it came true. The, the, and, and the reason I think it is, is too, and this is, you know, kind of maybe fallen under the category of I'd rather be lucky than smart, is that, you know, when we found it certification, what it largely did was give the, the service provider a way of, of marketing distinguished. They, they could distinguish themselves in the marketplace as a right. certified vendor. And what they sold the client therein was that, hey, somebody else is looking at us and, and validating that we're doing things right. Okay. So right. that was, I was thinking, uh, you know, I kind of characterize it as kind of the, the market distinguisher and warm and fuzzy period of, of, of aid certification at the time. What happened though is as you know, as 2005, 2006, 2007, and the regulations started to stipulate stronger data processor or business associate qualifications, they had mandated that data controllers, companies put due diligence in the selection of their service providers. So the regulations came along and then said, well, but the problem with that, of course, Tom, is that if a regulation says you've got to exercise due diligence when you select this vendor, the regulation kind of, in, you know, assumes that you have some way of validating whether they are or not a good writer. Right. So for, for most customers, the amount of, you know, thought or time they put into selecting a vendor is very small. And even if they had a larger bandwidth to put more time into it, they wouldn't know what to even look at. So, you know, the fact is Nade and now iSigma didn't know what to look at it. We codified it. We had auditors looking at it. So long story short, Valid, it, it, it actually fulfilled the due diligence requirement of the data controller because they were required by the regulations to do that due diligence, but they wouldn't have known how to do it. <laughs> right? right. So we, we did it for them. And so in, in, in a, to a large extent, those service providers that became need certified were doing a very big favor for their clients. And, you know, by, by establishing that, Hey, we've done this due diligence that you can now rely on. Yeah. Well, and, and it, it's what, what 
you know, you said earlier, which was when you start seeing it being imposed by large government entities, the requirement, and then you, you know, when you look back over the history of, of what happened, and then you saw the large national and international players also then becoming certified through the process, it really speaks to how important a standard that certification became and how important it was to the whole process, both on the side of the, the operators, the, the, the information destruction operators, as well as the clients who are hiring them. And it, it really spoke to, I think what's so cool is going back to, you know, that initial goal of yours is to be right, which is to, to be validated for the fact that you said, I want to prove to this. And, and you did, which is really kind of cool. So that's, that's delightful. So, um, that's a big part of the history. And so if you have, if you have the ability to kind of look through the looking glass and see where this organization is going in the future, only be, and whether it goes that way or not, it's just always interesting for me to get your perspective because of the deep insight you have in it. Where do you see iSigma certification, all of the kind of stuff around uh, the association and its members going. And if you just want to, you know, uh, do the Johnny Carson, you know, where you put it up to your head and and whatever you need to do there to to give me a sense of your perspective on it. Well, luckily for you, I'm old enough to remember Karnak. So I think that was that was the, that was the, the the bit he did at the time. And yet, you know, baked into your question there, Tom, or two, are, are you know, there there's, you know, you mentioned members, and I think that you know the the world of the I Sigma member is different from, of course, I Sigma's world, right? They're kind of yeah. two, two paths. So, so the the membership as it stands today, and it's a it's a you know it's a wide membership, right? You've got ITS at disposal companies, you've got hardcore hard copy or paper shredding companies, you've got now RIM services, and RIM services itself can be broken down into scanning and storage, and some of those are standalone, some of them are all under one umbrella. But each of those categories, I think, it, it, not to mention that they're also around the world, right? So the, the a RIM services future in the U.S. might be much different than a RIM service provider's future in India. And because, and you know, there's a different level of maturity to those industries. So depending on where they are, and just speaking of the, of the U.S. right now, for it, it doesn't take a, a genius to realize that it's kind of a contracting market for those services in, in, in North America or in the U.S., so for the companies left standing, and I know enough of them to know that this is coming to fruition, well, no matter what industry they're at, what, which one of those sectors they're in, you know, it's, it's kind of a good thing to have less competition. I mean, I, I would be the first to admit in the, you know, in the, in the, in the late teens or, or maybe, well, in the late 2000s and even 2010s, you know, it was kind of a, an exuberance, maybe I, I, I want to say unrealistic exuberance for the number of people that were coming into the industry. And it might have even got overloaded a little bit. So I think a thinning and a consolidation or a contraction of the marketplace actually makes those service providers healthy. And I don't, whether they're record storage or, or paper shredding or, or ITS at disposal, you know, I think if they're, if they're still standing in this market and they do the right things, they're going to be fine and they're going to have very profitable. I think you go, you go elsewhere in the world and the opportunity only gets better because, you know, those markets are less mature. They are in fact still expanding and there's an opportunity to, 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 to grow those services. So I, if I had to give one bit of advice to any of them and 
I, their eyes might roll when they hear this because I've been saying it for some, you know, 20 years or more is that, you know, being more to their client than just the guy that shows up to carry away the computers or carry away the paper or to put the box on the shelf, that's going to be integral to their, to their future, I think. So, and I know Tom, you're a big fan of that philosophy as well. Yeah. So, you know, I've been encouraging them to do that and, you know, some embrace it wholly, some just want to be the guy with the truck that shows up and shreds paper and they don't really want to know about regulations or compliance or those other things. And I think to the degree that they don't, they're, that might harm them as yeah. we enter the new world that I spoke of earlier with this new, you know, these new obligations on controllers, new obligations on processors and new data subject rights. Now for iSigma, um, all of those challenges are the, kind of the same as the, as the members. The, the caveat being that you know, and, and, and I mean, it, it's, I would just say, you know, in, in defense of anybody who has that job, it's not an easy job because like I said, you have a trade association that, that essentially is, you know, responsible now for governance, right? Record information governance or, or a range of data processor services, not just one like Nate back in the day. So when you have all of those constituents, all with different needs, you've got to kind of find that common denominator that's going to be of value to all of them. Right. And without, you know, and, and avoid the, the, the temptation to try to get into the weeds on each one of them. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I, you know, I have every confidence that they'll successfully do that and, and even expanding, but perhaps other data processor areas, but that's going to be the key. And again, it's a global organization. So not only do they have the the, the it, again, it goes back to finding the common denominator right. that they're going to focus on that's a value to everyone. Yeah, yeah. All right. So big history. Uh, really cool to hear the origin story. You've gone all these years. I, I, I think the other cool thing that that I think about, not just as certification, but what was it four or five years ago, you wrote the literally the book on information disposition. I mean that and that that to me is a huge part and it it may not be as obviously as big as certification but it's a really important uh, from my perspective an important document that became sort of the standard de facto standard that's actually taught and it's used in universities and information management programs now isn't it not to the degree that we hoped um, okay it, and and i think probably I, so yes, some uptake. And I, I think when, when Arma first put it in their bookstore, the, the first few hundred of them sold out very quickly. And so you know, got some traction there. And I think, you know, most iSigma members ended up buying it or NAID members at the time ended up buying it. So that was nice. But, but I think if, if it was, if it's been held back, I think it really actually speaks to the whole issue that we've been fighting with disposition forever, which is that, uh, and you may have heard me say this before talking about the book, Tom, it's that you know, you can, you can fill libraries with books about, you know, records creation, information transmission, even, even record storage and, and those types of things. And yet you can graduate with a master's degree in information management or a, a, I should, I, I'm not sure if information management is right, but, but I know yeah. you can graduate degrees in cybersecurity and, and other areas and, and not even hear the word, right. uh, the information disposition. And, and. I'm, I'm hoping there's heads nodding for the people that are listening to me. If they, you know, if, when they deal with high level people in their organizations who do have credentials in information management or information governance or whatever, 
their knowledge about information policies and procedures and and you know what what goes into it is very is, is very minimal. I point to often, and this was when I was writing the book, and I, I consulted with several very, I won't, I won't mention any names, but several very well-known information management professionals, consultants, outside consultants, that admitted to me that, that they were guilty even. You, you could have a Fortune 100 company with a three-inch information management manual, and the only words about information dis- disposition was one line in there that said, information shall be properly destroyed at the end of its useful life. Wow. Yeah. And so I took that one line and made a book out of it. <laughs> right. That one line and made a book, I think, to be right again. <laughs> All right. So let's let's move let's move from the past into the future. So you alluded to the fact earlier that this evolution was out of the the 27 year run at Nate and I Sigma but into this new field. So, and then you mentioned starting a company, but we didn't get into it. So tell me about this opportunity that you see emerging, what you're doing. Tell me about your new venture. Give me in both a nutshell and maybe dig in a little bit where you see this going. Well, I mentioned already, and I will repeat where the idea came from. Uh, It was, it was clear that regulations were changing and it was clear to me that it was time for me to move on from I Sigma. So those two things in play. Um, anyone who knows me and is not surprised by the fact that, you know, after a couple of months of retirement, I'd had enough of it. And even prior to retirement, I had mentioned to the board and, and to others, probably even to you, Tom, that, you know, I didn't really see myself in a rocking chair for the next 20 or 30 years collecting social security. I, my engine just runs too fast and I'm too into this. Right. So, you know, and I, I also, I missed me. This sounds a little bit like a compliment on myself, but, but, you know, even, even, you know, through most of my history, I've been able to look ahead and see kind of what's coming. And I've been, I was given a very unique opportunity at iSigma to, to be really on top of, you know, it's, my whole job was kind of what is coming and what, right. what's that going to be like. So with that in mind, I mean, I did see this coming. And so if I, I you know, just, if I'm going to step away as rightly and rightly so, I'm going to step away from my Sigma. What is it that I could do where I want to go? And, and the opportunity was just glaring me in the face. So, you know, it, there, when I was working in iSigma or Nate, of course, people came to me with questions and actually, you know, asking me for things that I couldn't even do for them, right? I, you, you, when you're, when you run a trade association that equally represents all members, anything you do has to be the benefit of all of those members. You can't really do anything to the benefit of a single company. Right. Bob Johnson, the consultant under my new banner, which is called Probata Box, Probata Box consultancy can, I mean, I can now do those things that, that those members wanted me to do that I couldn't do when I was on the inside of iSigma and in that iSigma could never do for them. So right. it just takes expertise to be able to, to do that. It's nothing that I think is going to set the world on fire, but it, I do think that I'll be of value to a lot of members that, I say members, a lot of industry participants, and even, as I mentioned, data controllers and data right. subjects who are now navigating these new waters, these new regulations and kind of learning what their rights are, hopefully learning not the hard way what their obligations are and, uh, and will want some of my expertise to be able to help them do that. So if, if you're open to it, could you give me an example of what that might look like? Because, I mean, I, I know generally speaking, it's, 
it's your expertise can go to help either controllers or processors with specific specific support. But can you give me an example of what that might look like, just just as a way to to help me understand that? Well, I'll touch on a few of them. I I will say though, I'm, I probably won't do it justice here, and I would advise anyone listening to this. I hope you don't mind to go to providerbox.com. That's yeah. the website. And, and they can see all of the range of different services that, that I've identified. And, you know, the reason I did that, Tom, is very much to your question is that I'm not sure that many members even could envision how our members, I said it again, how many service providers or data controllers or, or data subject would even know what I could do for them. So, I mean, you know, it, it, it really runs the gambit though, for now to touch on a few on the more, I mean, there are some that align specifically with regulatory compliance. For instance, right. there is a data processors and data controllers have a, have a requirement to review their, their um, uh, information protection policies and procedures annually and to establish that they've been reviewed. Now, I say annually, it's not necessarily annual, but it's periodical. So they've got to be able to establish they've done that. Who better than me to go in there with my name and provide a box as a seal of approval on those policies and procedures to assure that they've done that right. So there are other things in that regard, maybe less on the regulatory side of it. Um, I don't know if guys in your business, Tom, still say content is king, but I've always been a prolific writer. And whether I'm ghostwriting for a service provider or, or writing content as you know, one of the leading experts in the field, that content can be helpful to members who might want to use that content on their websites. It can be written even in a bespoke nature so that it's specifically for their company and even on topic that they want to make a point on. So that that's a, that's one of the areas, maybe on the, on the, the harder end, the harder is the wrong word, the less thought of, end, perhaps is, you know, I can review a request for proposal and I can help them decide, you know, what questions need to go back to the service provider. I could even help respond to a request for proposal to make sure they've got the best chance of mm. getting it or, or, and, or work with them and a client over an issue they have with the client that the client is confused about. And they, they actually need some expert, quasi-expert to come in and, yeah. can I use the word expert? Come yeah. in and help them navigate that, that issue. So, so again, you know, I, I'm just cherry picking a few out of what probably are a couple of dozen different things I can do for service providers. And the same thing goes for data controllers and, and uh, data subjects even. So it's, it's really bringing so much of your, your historic knowledge, current capabilities, awareness of the regulations to support whatever, whatever type of client, but, but it's, it's you bringing your particular expertise to help a specific client get the result they need or, or at least move the needle. Exactly. And I think in, you know, I think in a way that wasn't available to them before. I right. don't know where they would have turned even for those things. Right, right. So th this is a new entity. Historically, you built, you built a global association. This is a individual consulting practice, uh, and you may grow that as well. But what's different about this than that? Like, how are you? I mean, I, I kind of, you know, I, as I think about it, because I've been in the, you know, in the independent consulting business and coaching business for a long time. And I kind of have my head about, but you're, you had a very different thing that you've, you've been doing for years, putting conferences together and managing 
you know, a complex and you have a board that you have to be, you know, responsible to all the time. Now you get to kind of do your own thing. This must be kind of fun. It is. It's, it's certainly different. The, it, it's kept a good news, bad news thing, if you will. So the, the one thing about starting a trade association, whether you've got, you know, five members or, or 5,000 members is that it's ultra collaborative. Yeah. You, you know, you're, you're, you have a board of directors or weigh in and everything projects need to be sold or sold to them. Uh, yeah. they come to you with ideas. So there, there are many people working on everything, speakers, all of those kind of things. When, you know, so that's what, you know, th that was my experience in founding made. Right. So, and, and, and had been for the next 27 years with, with owning my own business now, if the, the, the good news, bad news part about it, the good news, bad news part about it, why I use that, that the euphemism is that the, the, that was really good. I mean, I benefited greatly from the input of the, essentially the people I served. I, I'd actually even would think of it because I'm an entrepreneur at heart and Nate was a very entrepreneurial thing for me. So I, I likened it to inviting your customers in to help you run the business that serves them. Yeah. So I really like, I just thought of it as a different model for a business that really brought the customer in to be able to, to design what they, what they wanted for their companies. And part of what I, my job was bringing them ideas that they had to consider for what could help them as, as companies. So, so that was that I don't have that now, right? I'm just myself and I'm thinking of these things I want and what I didn't. You know, I'm, 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 you know, I've picked your brain on a couple of things and I'm calling people to talk to them about various things. And I, I benefited from the, the, the network that I have developed. So that's been, it hasn't been, it's not like I'm out there on my own, but still I, at the end of the day, I am on my own. I'm also, you know, risking my own money. I'm more importantly, or just as importantly, you know, risking my time. Yeah. I, I am approaching my retirement years, whether that's 10 or 15 or 20 years from now. And I've only, you know, this is maybe the one more punch of the card for me. And so from that perspective, there's a bit of risk in it, right? If you're going to punch your card one more time, you, you want to, you know, you want to make sure it's good. And, and luckily I've had the benefit of learning from Nade and, and the, the experience at Nade and I Sigma. Yeah all those board members over time, how they watching them run their businesses so well. And, and so it was a chance to start with a fresh slate and say, now I'm, I'm not, I'm not starting a shredding company when I'm 18 years old anymore. I'm not, I'm now 66 and I'm starting a consultancy and I want it to be taken seriously by the people I need to be taking it seriously. And so it, it's, it's nice to start from there. Yeah. Well, I think it's really cool because, you know, a lot of people at this point in time, they retire from this big life they've had and, you know, they, they, they get a golf cart and they, they go to the, they go to the golf course or, or the beach or wherever they go and they ride off into the sunset. But I, I'm, I'm really excited for you in terms of not doing that, in terms of leveraging all these years of capability and skill and perspective and insight to do something cool. What do they call it? the third third? I think that's what they call it now, the third third and to do something cool in the third third. But, you know, I, I guess, I guess for you is, is, is also the, the idea, even though you have all of this energy to give to it, is there a sense that it, it's a slightly different amount of energy expended kind of thing? Is it like, does this feel more, does this feel like more you can breathe a little bit with it or is that dramatically different for you? 
Well, it is it is different in, in a lot of ways. The the and I'll try to put this nicely. I think I I'm sure I can. Is that you know the going back to my job at I Sigma, I 99.9 percent of all my interactions with people that I worked with was was pleasant, and I enjoyed working with them. But I, I guess now in in my in but I guess the point of that is I didn't have any choice either, right? I was going to work with everybody. And, and as the work came, I had to figure out how to do it and what to do. And, and I, and, uh, you know, there was those, well, now I'm in much better position to say, this is something I want to do. This is something right. I don't want to do. This has filled the available time. And, and I don't really want to take any more work on until I get this done. So, you know, luckily life's been good to me. I'm not pressured by the economics of the situation. I can really be selective in making sure that I pick projects that will result in value to the clients and that also fit the lifestyle and, uh, and the burden on, you know, burden isn't shouldn't be the right word, but the, 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 the workload that I want to have to somewhat enjoy this time, maybe a little bit, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be a little less intense, perhaps let's put it right. that way. Right. Right. And well, it's especially mine as, as the, you know, with, with the, with, you know, seeing the conference and how it's, how it goes, you know, and how it went. It's uh, that's a lot of work and, and, and my hands off to everybody for the work they did on that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, speaking of seeing you in person to end this conversation, I'm going to go completely away from the association and from Pravada Vox. And I'm going to mm -hmm. go to something else that intrigues me because I I'm impressed, which is how the heck are you in the very best shape of your life? I have never seen you looking more, more fit and i mean you're in you're in fighting form like what what are you doing like how are how are you in this good a shape right now you got to tell me your secret well thank you for, for noticing Tom. i'm blushing right now if you can't tell being retired has its benefits so you know while well for the last two or three months i have been you know steadily working increasingly on this bottom box model and and you know have now launched it but the, but uh, there was, you know, I, I caught my breath and I, and I took a few months and, and when your engine runs as fast as mine runs, you're, you're not going to sit around all day. And, you know, and so, yeah, I, I'd, I'd spent a few hours at the gym most days and, and, and it, you know, it was also though, I, I, I acting like it was doing it, I just out of not having anything to do. And I don't mean that. I knew what was coming. I knew Provada Box was coming. I know it's going to take some energy. I know that you know, I, I need to be in the right condition the have the right conditioning, if you will, yep. to be yep. able to, to move through that and do what I need to do for that. So that was always in the back of my mind as I was doing that. So, you know, thank you very much for noticing. I, I, I think I was in pretty decent shape probably the last time you saw me before this, but yeah, I know I've, I've cranked it up another notch and that, and I thank you for noticing. Well, A, you're welcome. B, I'm impressed because I'm always impressed when somebody really goes to work on on health and vitality and sort of doing what you've done. And and seeing you in person allowed me to uh, you know, to see that in in full form. So so good on you. But let me first say on behalf of everyone listening, great success in this new adventure that you're on this next this next chapter. We're we're going to make sure that everybody has links to provadabox.com on the the website and the related podcast show notes and wherever we post this, but they will they will have access to you through that that channel. Is there any final words you'd like to say before we bring this conversation to a close? 
I will thank you for the opportunity to come on to your show. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. I listen to, I think, all the podcasts you've done so far. So it was a little bit intimidating to be invited. I will tell you that. And, and I want to thank everybody that's helped me get here. I mean, some of them won't be listening. Some of them aren't with us anymore. That's what happens when you stick around for as long as I have. But uh, I can say, you know, without hesitation that I would not be here today doing this or I wouldn't have had the you know, quote unquote, illustrious career I've had and hopefully the success I'll have if it wasn't for, you know, all the people that have helped me along the way. You know, I like, can't thank them individually because it would take too long. But if you're listening to this, I'm sure you're one of them. And so thank you. Bob, it's been a pleasure. Great to talk to you and continued success. Thank you, Tom. Thanks again for listening to the Shred Coach Podcast with Tom Adams. Make sure to visit TomAdams.com for executive coaching, advisory board services, podcasting, training, and more. And subscribe to our email list so you can have first access to brand new strategies, tips, and ideas from trusted shredding and business professionals.